All right. Good morning. I have a truth-telling moment for you. You don't have to raise your hands. I will raise my hand. Have you ever really, really, really wanted to get revenge? I mean, that's all right. It's cool. I mean, like, really bad. All-consuming. I am the middle of three girls, and let me tell you, the shenanigans that went down in my house between me and my sisters were insane. This might come as a little bit of a shock. Um, I was an aggressive kid, a little bit. I am, as I said, the middle child to a very docile older sister and and a pretty docile little sister. And I just delighted in torturing my big sister. She and I were only thir- are only 13 months apart. But that 13 months for her may as well have been 13 years. She really loved to mother me, and I really loved to punish her for it. So a couple of examples. Um, once I wanted to play with her brand new Barbie, and she said no which I feel like you have to be quite audacious to say no to me. So I took her Barbie and I chewed on its feet until the little white plastic, you probably don't know that Barbies have little white plastic inside, the little white plastic ball popped out of the ankle and I gave it back to her and said, she needs surgery. I also chewed on her Barbie's hands until instead of looking like this, they look like this. I had apparently razor-sharp teeth as a kid, I'm now realizing. I cut her Barbie's hair. Um, And once I really wanted to play, and she said no, so I pinned her up against the ladder to our bunk beds, and I bit her in the back, because that seems like a reasonable response. And now I'm realizing both of my daughters are hearing these stories. (laughs) Please don't get any ideas. But on one glorious summer afternoon, my older sister got the revenge that she had been hoping for probably since the day I was born. You know, in the mid-80s, bangs were super in, and I wanted some. So seven-year-old Andy decided she would give herself bangs. And I had long, blonde, curly hair, mid-back, white blonde that I would twirl around for strangers, but I wanted bangs. My mom had said no. So I found those scissors, the paper scissors, the safety scissors that won't even cut paper, and I started hacking at my hair. And my big sister walked downstairs, and she saw me hacking at my hair, and she bolted up the stairs faster than I've ever seen a kid move in my entire life, screaming, Mom! Mommy! Well, I found out later, of course, she ran upstairs to tell on me, but my mom did not believe her. My assumption is that she was so in shock that these long, horrifically, like, difficult-to-maintain curls were now gone. So my sister came back downstairs and said, I'll need a lock of your hair, please. 
while my bangs weren't long enough for her to get a solid chunk. And so I took a clump of my hair, started hacking at that too, because my sister wanted my hair, so I gave it to her, and off she ran. Needless to say, the female equivalent of the bowl cut was in my immediate future. Guys, it was not pretty. Today we're looking at the next chapter of David's life. Last week, things had moved from bad to worse, and Saul's hatred of David manifested in a physical and verbal attack on Saul's own son, Jonathan. This week, things turned from worse to even more worse, worser, much worsest, as we look at Saul's anger moving him to pursue David. We'll be starting in 1 Samuel chapter 24. The story begins with David and about 600 relatives and followers who were camped out in a cave hiding from Saul. Saul had gathered 3,000 elite troops to hunt these men down. But unknowingly, Saul had wandered into a cave where David and his men were hiding. Saul was all alone, defenseless, and completely oblivious to who was in that cave. Verse 4 says, Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. And I can imagine the tension in that cave must have been palpable. 600 small whispering voices urging David to cut Saul down where he stood and take his rightful place as the long-anointed king. And I can so resonate with this, although to be honest, in my hardest moments, I don't need 600 people whispering to me to do what I want. I can produce that motivation all on my own. I asked before if you've ever really wanted revenge and obviously gave some silly examples of what that can look like. But I want to acknowledge that some of us have experienced horrific abuses and circumstances. Things that have hurt us so deeply that it seems impossible to fight the bitterness that grows right alongside the pain. Hate crimes, hate speech, abuse, sexism, racism, neglect, rejection. In our story, David is literally the victim of a manhunt driven by insecurity and fear on the part of his nation's king. But here, in the cave, Saul is alone. I can only imagine how that shift in dynamics must have felt to David. Saul was pursuing him with 3,000 troops. David and his men were outnumbered 50 to 1, but in this moment, Saul was outnumbered 600 to 1. Verse 5 says, But then... David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my lord, the king. I shouldn't attack 
the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Listen, David didn't cut Saul. Just took a little off the bottom. Took a little square off of the hem of his garment, and yet his conscience still began to bother him. This is such an amazing statement to me. He came back to the crowd of people who were urging him to cut down Saul, who were excited that David was finally rising up as king, that the pursuit was finally over. But instead of blood on his sword, there was what? Like little shards of fabric? It's probably not the climactic end that his friends were expecting. His conscience was so sensitive that any affront to the Lord's anointed one bothered him. He recognized that God had a purpose for Saul, and he prioritized that purpose over his own hurt and anger. So much so that he then restrained his friends. After this incident, David followed Saul out of his cave, and he made his presence known. He called out to Saul. He showed Saul the piece of cloth from his hem. He showed him that he was close enough to take his life, and that yet, instead, he chose mercy. Saul was so grateful to David that he cried. And he even went so far to say, I know that you're Israel's next king. And then they go on their separate ways. And if David is anything like me, he probably went back to his buddies and replayed his choice over and over again. Did I do the right thing? He was so close. This isn't going to end unless I end it. So sometimes we show kindness in response. But that can leave us feeling a little empty, maybe even a little small. Sometimes when we show mercy, it makes us feel weak. It makes us fear that we look weak in the eyes of others. But... It was David's kindness and mercy that caused Saul to declare that David would be the anointed king of Israel. So let's take a look at chapter 26 to see how David's choices played out. Verses 1 and 2 say, Now some men from Ziph came to Saul at Gibeah to tell him, David is hiding out on the hill of Hekelah, which overlooks Jeshimon. So Saul might sound familiar, took 3,000 of Israel's elite troops and he went to hunt him down in the wilderness of Ziph. Wow. It would so be my hope that this story went a completely different direction. That when we show humility and mercy, the response would automatically be changed behavior. That's not always reality. When we call the same names over and over, when we feel excluded, wronged, or hurt, 
and we show grace instead of choosing to retaliate, my hope would be that those stories would always go a different direction. But again, that's not always our reality. Here we see Saul giving into the same jealous insecurities that have driven his behavior in the latter part of his reign. So David sent spies to confirm Saul's presence, and sure enough, there was his army. That night, David decided to infiltrate Saul's camp, and the text doesn't tell us why. Maybe after replaying those decisions over and over again, he thought, I missed my chance, but I won't miss it again. Maybe he believed that Saul was changed. We don't know. Verse 6 in chapter 26 says, Who will volunteer to go in there with me? David asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai, son of Zariah, Joab's brother. I'll go with you, Abishai replied. So David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head. It's not a good sign. Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around him. God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time, Abishai whispered to David. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear and I won't need to strike twice. Poor David. Oh, listen, for me, I do not need encouragement to go from super chill to revengey. I need encouragement to show love when I so do not want to. Yes, Lord. Thank you, God. David's friends, they simply wanted the best for him, probably wanted the best for themselves as well. And the end of Saul's terror looked like the best. But in that moment, David needed to tread lightly and be very careful about whose advice he was taking. When hurt has happened and emotions are high, it's important to surround ourselves with people who will remind us of the good. We need people to tell us about the beauty and the love of our amazing God. We need people who won't incite destructive behavior in us. That is not to say that we need people who will keep us silent. And that is not to say that we need people who will dismiss our pain. We need people who want us to be whole and healed. So that instead of the bitterness that accompanies pain, we have the experience to be advocates for those who are still lost in their own hurts. Verse 9 continues with David's response. No, David said, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday, or he'll die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one he has anointed. But take the spear and the jug of water beside his head, and then let's get out of here. So David took the spear and jug of water that were near Saul's head. Then he and Abishai got away without anyone seeing them or even waking up because the Lord had put Saul's men into a deep sleep. I find that statement really interesting. Did they put, did God put Saul's men into a deep sleep 
because he was ready for Saul to die? Or did the Lord put Saul's men into a deep sleep because he was ready for David to rise once again? And once again, David showed restraint. But he was not without action. We can show restraint. We can encourage restraint. And yet we can still take action. When people are hurting us or others, it's okay to feel how you feel. We are still responsible for what we do with those feelings. And I, for one, would love to be more like David, who took a long perspective of his circumstances. He knew that he would be king someday. He trusted that what God promised him would come to be. And he was willing to be faithful to God in the wait. I know that the things that hurt people and hurt our nation will be made right one day. I know it. We've been promised that through God's word. I want to be faithful in that wait as well. But again, that doesn't mean silent. One distinction for us today, revenge and advocacy, they don't coexist. David could have put an end to it and taken his revenge. But how could he advocate for life lived in relationship with God? Now, this is where things get a little complicated. Because David was right. Saul did fall in battle. The Philistines attacked Israel, and many lives were lost. The man who had been trying to kill David was also his best friend's dad. His best friend, whose life had now been lost. Saul was also David's father-in-law. And now... He was just gone. When people have hurt us and they either leave our lives by choice or because their lives come to an end and reconciliation has not come to be, we're sometimes left in the wake of what could have been. What if I just called one more time? What if I've just moved on and forgotten that what, whatever happened, happened? Why couldn't they be what I needed? Was I what they needed? There can be a loss that happens when a relationship never becomes what we envisioned it to be. David had called out to Saul a second time. In his hand was his spear and his jug. And again, Saul admitted that he was wrong and affirmed David's place as a future leader of his nation, but they never made things right. They just parted ways. And I don't think that could have been easy for either of them. 2 Samuel chapter 1 tells the story of David learning of the death of Saul and his dear friend Jonathan. Verse 1 says, After the death of Saul, David returned from his victory over the Amalekites and spent two days in Ziklag. 
On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's army camp. He had torn his clothes and put dirt on his head to show that he was in mourning. He fell to the ground before David in deep respect. Where have you come from, David asked. I escaped from the Israelite camp, the man replied. What happened, David demanded. Tell me how the battle went. The man replied, our entire army fled from the battle. Many of the men are dead, and Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. This could have been the crowning moment for a bitter heart. This could have been when David embraced the thought that Saul got exactly what he had coming to him. For us, it looks different. It might take the form of a coworker who gets fired or a family member who doesn't come to Thanksgiving. It might be an ex who got dumped in front of all of their friends. Whoever it is that has hurt us, we still get to choose how we honor them, how we think about them, how we choose to engage or not engage, but still love them. We get to choose to enter into this sometimes lifelong process of forgiving, which is often started through the process of grief. At least it was in the life of David. Verse 11 and 12 say that David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow and when they heard the news. They mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel because they had died by the sword that day. If David had taken revenge, his men would have never mourned. If David had taken his revenge, they would have never wept for Saul, their enemy, the man who was pursuing them. Instead, they would have celebrated the end of his reign and of his life. But David chose the path that not only drew him closer to the heart of God, but he chose the path that drew his friends closer to the heart of God. Though he was hurt, denigrated, rejected, and driven from his home. He chose to show mercy to the man who refused to extend mercy to him. My friends, I do not know what hurts you carry with you today, and I would never presume to tell you how you should feel about those things. But I am grateful to say that God invites us to see God's own image in the people that we live life with. And that bitterness keeps us stuck and brokenhearted. On the other side of healing, we can be the person who points out the humanity in others. Like David, we can show our friends how to mourn for those who are hurting others and to long for freedom for our oppressors. This is a difficult and complicated thing. 
So please do not leave this place feeling like you should have all the answers because I certainly do not have them myself, nor do I have them to give. But I will say, forgiveness is a process worth pursuing. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the example of David, that even in the midst of unfair treatment, even in the midst of being hurt and misunderstood, even in the midst of his life literally being in danger, he chose to keep a soft heart. He chose to hear your correction. And somehow he chose to bring his friends along with him, God. We are grateful for that example. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I will leave you with this closing word. May we recognize the places in us that still need healed. May we bring those things to God and exchange them for the confidence to stand when we need to. And may we invite others into the process of trading bitterness for the love of God. Have a great week.